0: Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. We looked at Hosea chapter 12, the very first uh, few verses, and we looked at that uh, passage talking about Israel feeding on the wind. And how Israel chose to chase after things that would not satisfy them, that would not bring joy, that would not bring happiness. Instead of bringing all those things, it would bring devastation, it would bring destruction. And we looked at that in the context of rejecting their spiritual roots. That Israel fed on the wind because they rejected their spiritual roots. And how God used the story of Jacob to tell them, remember that you are Israel, you are not Jacob. Quit acting like Jacob when you're supposed to be acting like Israel. And the analogy for us is that we are ch- called children of God. We are followers of Christ. We are Christians. So quit acting like non-Christians. Quit acting like sinners. And you remember that, that I, I, gra- I grabbed that passage, that, that title from verse 1 of chapter 12, which says, Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day. Today, we're going to continue on that, that same theme, feeding on the wind, as we look at Hosea chapter 12, verses 7 through 14. Uh, we're going to look at these words, continuing that same thing, uh, that same thing that we have. So, follow along as I read verses 7 through 14 in God's Word. Hosea writes, the merchant uses dishonest scales. He loves to defraud. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I will make you live in tents again as in the days of your appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions and told parables through them. Is Gilead wicked? Its people are worthless. Do they sacrifice bulls in Gilgal? Their stones will be like piles of stones on a plowed field. Jacob fled to the country of Aram. Israel served to get a wife, and to pay for her he tended sheep. The Lord used a prophet to bring Israel up from Egypt. By a prophet he cared for him. But Ephraim has bitterly provoked him to anger. His Lord will leave upon him the guilt of his bloodshed and will repay him for his contempt. Continuing that same thing, we see that we feed on the wind when we are materialistic. Look at verse 7. As we see in in verse 7, he talks about the merchant cheating the people in the marketplace. He's cheating these individuals. And in fact, he says, not only do they cheat them, they love it. They boast about it. They brag about it. And then verse 8, he uses their own words to indict them. Notice what he says. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity a sin. What they're saying says, because we have money, because we have wealth, there's no sin can be found in us. We're guiltless. Uh, we're, we're, we have no faults. They rejected any criticism that might be leveled against them because they were prosperous. You see, in those days, they thought because they had wealth, it must have meant that God was prospering you. It must mean that God is blessing you because He's blessed you of health, He's blessed you of wealth, He's blessed you of prosperity. They felt that it must be a sign that God is blessing us. And remember, the problem with Israel is they had idolatry. They began worshiping idols, and they gave credit to the idols for what was going on. So basically, they're saying, there's not anything wrong with our worship because look at the way God has blessed us. Look at the way God has taken care of us. They believe that because they've been blessed materially, that their religion has been vindicated. And there's, there's no blame. They say, God must be pleased with our worship. He must be pleased with our lifestyles because He blessed us so much. How can there be any talk of sin and guilt? This is what's going on in the land of Israel during the time of Hosea. Now listen, this passage is not teaching that money is wrong. I don't want you to ever uh, get, that, get that teaching out of this. It's saying the love of money is wrong. The love of money. But they took pride in their wealth. Uh, they took pride in, in their riches. And, and they trusted in what they had. And because they trusted what they had, they did not have to trust in God. They could take care of themselves. They don't need God in their lives. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. You know this verse. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Man, we can quote that verse. We, we memorize that verse. You may not know, first, you, know you may not know it's First Timothy chapter six, verse 10, but you know the verse. You know where it's at. What we forget is the verse pre, right, to, right before that one. It says this: "People who want to get rich fall in the temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction." The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Remember. Always put it in the context to understand it. A text without a context is a pretext. You're trying to make it say something it doesn't say. Paul is telling us that if you have a love for money and you pursue that, guess what? You're feeding on the wind. You're feeding on the wind. Why is that? Why is that? Because it causes us to lose our focus. I read a story about a rabbi who had a rich man uh, come to see him, seeking some, uh, some spiritual counseling. And so the rabbi immediately took him out to a window, and he said, what do you see? He goes, I see people. I see people. He said, good. Then he took him inside, he said, look at the mirror. He said, what do you see? I see myself. I see myself. He said, yes. He said, both the window and the mirror both have glass in it, but the mirror has just a little layer of silver on top of the glass. And the minute you add a little silver, all you see is yourself and you don't see others. He said, that's what happens when money enters into the picture. When you have a love for money, it, it, it disables you or you can no longer see other people and what God has in store for you. That's what happened to Israel. They lost track of God and they lost track of others. You see, God wanted to use Israel He wanted to use Israel in a great and mighty way. He wanted to use Israel as a beacon of light to the Gentiles, to all the nations around them, to come to God. Come to God and and, and be used by God in a great way. That's what God had planned for them. But they became greedy. And they saw the acquisition of riches as their chief goal. We're here to make money. We're here to get wealthy. Almost sounds like United States, doesn't it? We're here to to make money and become wealthy. They did not care how God wanted to use them. All they wanted to do was satisfy themselves, satisfy their greed, and satisfy their materialism. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot do it. And as a result, what does Hosea say God's going to do? He says, I will make you live in tents again as the days of your appointed feast." What's he saying? He says, Israel, I'm going to break you. I'm going to put you back to where you were in the beginning. I'm going to take away your wealth. I'm going to take away your prestige. I'm going to take away your honor. I'm going to take away your position. I'm going to take away your country. And I'm going to drive you back to live in tents when you were right with me. When you were right with me, that's what I'm going to do with you, Israel. He's going to take them back before their prosperity, before their wealth, before their affluence. He's going to take them back to a time when they were right with God and they were living in a relationship with Him. I remember reading a story. About a man who rededicated his life to God. He said, Because of that, I'm going to start tithing to God. So he made that vow to his pastor. Oh, man, that was a problem right there. He made that vow to the pastor. He said, Pastor, I've I'm going to give 10% to the Lord from now on. At the time that he made that vow, his offering was $1 a week. $1. Now, I added, that means he's making $10 a week. Y'all got y'all with me? $10, 10% is $1, in case y'all didn't know. All right? He said, I'm going to do that. But in the time he began to prosper. And eventually his, his wealth grew where he could give $500 a week to the Lord. Yes, that means he's making $5,000 a week, all right? Give $500 a week. And so he came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I can't, I can't continue my vow. I can't continue giving that much money away. I have so many bills. I have other expenses and things I need to do. He said, I can't do it. And the pastor said, well, unfortunately, I can't release you from your promise. He said, but I can do this. I can pray where you'll make less money so you can afford to give one dollar a week again. Now listen, this is not a tithing sermon. That's one thing I like about God's word. You know, if you'll just systematically preach to God's word, you'll get there. You'll get to the topics that we need. This is not a tithing sermon. It says this is not what it's about, it's about materialism, it's about greed. It's about wanting what does not belong to you that actually belongs to someone else. But listen, when we become materialistic, hear me on this. When we become materialistic, we lose track of God and what he desires to do. God gives us wealth so that we can use it for his glory and for his honor and for his benefit and for his kingdom. I don't want to burst your bubble. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. And about his kingdom. And he wants to use you. Because really what he's doing, he's trying to shape you is what he's trying to do. He says, do you trust me? Do you really trust me enough to just give me 10%? Because if you can't trust God in that, guess what? You'll never trust him in the normal processes of life. You'll never do it. You just won't. Because you're not walking by faith. You're walking by sight. My checkbook says I can't. God says you can, if you trust me. Will it be easy? No. Matter of fact, can I tell you an interesting thing? I've discovered, and I've been given, I've been given 10%, over 10% for a long time, but that, that, that's irrelevant. I've discovered something fascinating about giving 10% the Lord. When I give 10% the Lord, I only have 90% left. It's amazing. But you know what? I always have enough. Always. It's just a simple accounting procedure. God says, do you trust me? Israel had failed to trust in God and they trusted in themselves because they got greedy and forgot the needy. We become, we feed on the wind, we become materialistic. Second truth in this passage. Really, it's the third truth, the second for today. We feed on the wind when we reject God's will. Look at verse 10. I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions and told parables through them. God is saying through the prophet Hosea uh, that God sent prophets to the people to tell them, to encourage them, to, to, to lead them in the paths that they are to go, but the people were not that impressed with the prophets. They weren't impressed with the message that they had. I have a feeling they were much like many in a Baptist congregation today. When the preacher stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, people roll their eyes. There he goes again, thinking that he can speak for God. Roll their eyes. Oh preacher, we didn't really know you were preaching, we thought you were just talking and so they just rolled their eyes at the prophets, but what the God what, God, what God's word says is that the prophets were an extension of God and, and and they were to speak the truth that God gave to them, and they would do that so the people must decide, are we going to listen to what the prophets say? Or are we not going to listen to the prophets say? You have no other options. That's the only two options you said. You either accept it or you reject it. One of the two. That's what was going to go. If Israel had just obeyed God, everything would have been different in their life. Everything would have been different for the nation of Israel. But they chose to reject God. If they had just listened. And time after time after time, God came and he spoke the word to the people to turn them back for them to alter the course. I remember reading a story about, about a ship, uh, a captain of a ship, and was, he spotted a light way out on the horizon. And so he immediately, he immediately flashed the, the signal light to, to that light. And he says, veer your course 10 degrees north. And the light came back from the other light, said, veer your course 10 degrees south. The captain was irate. He goes, I can't believe this. He says, veer your course 10 degrees north. I am a captain. The reply came back, veer your your course 10 degrees south. I am seaman third class Jones. He's irate. He says, veer your course 10 degrees north. I am a battleship. The reply came back, very your degree, 10 degrees south. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> listen, listen. God and God's Word is a lighthouse. He does not change. We change to accommodate Him. We change, not God. And time after time, God came to Israel and He told them, alter your course Change your direction. But they chose to reject what God had to do, what God told them to do. They refused to obey. And Hosea says, because you refuse to obey, because you reject God's will, you are feeding on the wind. And you will not find satisfaction. You will not find happiness. You will not find joy. You will not find hope outside of walking in the light of God's presence, in the light of God's will for you. Listen, this has implication for your life as an individual. But it also has implications for us as a church. Us as a church. Many times God comes to you, person says, change your course. Alter your direction. Do something different. And sometimes he comes to us as a church corporately. And he says, alter your course. Change your direction. And we have to decide how we're going to respond in those times. He tells us to alter our course, change our ways. But if we refuse, guess what? We're not going to be walking in the abundance of God's glory. We're not going to be walking in the abundance of God's joy for our lives. Listen, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for Western Heights Baptist Church. God has a purpose for Western Heights Baptist Church. Can I tell you what it's not? It ain't about you. It's not about you. It's about Him and bringing Him glory and bringing Him honor as we serve Him, as we manifest His presence in this community where God has placed us. It's about Him. There is no will for your life. Does that bad for you? No. There's only God's will. That's it. There's only God's will. There is no will for your life. The minute you get into God's will, then you discover God's will. Henry Blackaby, in his monumental work, uh, said this in his book, Experiencing God. He goes, what is God's… I put it on the screen for you. What is God's will for my life? It's not the right question. I think the right question is, What is God's will? Once I know God's will, then I can adjust my life or alter my life to Him. In other words, what is it that God is purposing where I am? Once I know what God is doing, then I know what I need to do. The focus needs to be on God, not my life. Not my life. Let me tell you, folks, when you're focused on God, you will not go wrong. You will not go wrong. I know what you're asking. Well, how do we discover God's will? Well, first thing you do, you got to read God's Word. you got to study God's Word. Uh, and I'm talking about in-depth study. I'm not suggesting the way that, that, that one man did it. He kind of did, you know, open the Bible, point your finger and, and, and claim it, name it, you know. Uh, name it, claim it. And he went, so he did that one time and he turned the page, he opens the Bible. He said, Judas went and hanged himself. He shocked him, so he closed the Bible again. He opened it. Again, and he pointed his finger and said, "Go and do likewise." He didn't like that, so he closed the Bible again, and he opened it one more time, and he pointed his finger and says, "What you are going to do, do quickly." <laughs> Listen, I'm not suggesting that should be the way you know, you, uh, you study God's word. You need to systematically involve yourself in a study of God's word. Did y'all know we have Bible study classes here at the church? Anybody know that? Just curious. Yeah, we, we, that's, that's a promotion. Uh, we have Bible study classes here at the church where you can study the Bible with other people who are just like you, fellow, fellow journeyers, fellow sojourners, fellow pilgrims, just trying their best to discover what God's will is. And the best way to do that is in a group studying God's Word. And let them share their hurts and their struggles. And guess what? Say, man, that's just like me. Maybe I can relate to these people a little bit better than I thought. God's Word has a way to penetrate into our hearts, into our minds, into our thoughts. You've got to study God's Word. you got to get involved in that. But also knows what God says through Hosea, verse 10. Once again, read that verse. I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions, and told parables through them. God said, I sent messengers to you. I sent my spokesperson to you. I sent my people, and they would communicate my will to you. They would communicate what I desire for you to do. The people had to, had, to, had to decide to listen and to learn. That's one way they could do that. It's a legitimate way that you read God's Word and, 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 you, and you listen to the, to the ones that God has placed over you. So you listen to others. But as Blackaby says, we can watch to see where God is working and we can join Him. And I have discovered this in my own life. This is one of the best ways that God will communicate in very simple, direct ways that you cannot misunderstand it. It's proven to be a very practical way to discover God's God's work. What you do is you look for where God is working and join Him in that work. Join Him. I remember when we were serving in Guatemala we had a medical team coming to, our, to Guatemala to work for two weeks with us. Normally, we only had them for a week. We had this team coming for two weeks. And so I had to find, I wanted to use them in two different locations to maximize the efforts. And so we already had one area lined up. And I just did not know where to put the other area because it wasn't the easiest to, to logistically do it. And so finally, I, I come across a, a brand new community that just come up. And uh, the president of the community, the little community director, he said, I'll even give you a place to meet. I'll give you a building and a vacant lot. You can throw your tents up and you can do your medical teams. And we'd have three or four doctors. We'd have pharmacy and all this stuff. And uh, he he said, I'll give it to you. So I said, okay, well, that sounds like a good place to go. Upon further investigation, I I said, oh, man, I shouldn't have come here. There's only 250 people live there. Now, this is brand new. It's propped up overnight. 250 people live there but there were four Pentecostal churches in the area. And it had always been our desire as church planters to go where there were no other churches and plant churches or go where there is a weak presence of a church. But I'd already made the commitment, and so we went. And so I went, and I said, okay, you know, I wasn't happy about it. Can I just tell you that? Because I thought I was wasting my efforts. That day, we saw, week, we saw 64 people come to Christ and we started two Bible studies with 44 in attendance. God was working. So I just joined God where he's working and God did some amazing things through that little community that we worked with there in Guatemala. The same was true for Israel. But Israel chose to reject God's word. They chose to reject God's will for them. And as a result... They chased after relationships. They chased after alliances that could not satisfy them. Verses 11 through 14 says what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to destroy you, Israel. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to make it as if you did not exist. And I'm going to teach you. I'm going to discipline you through this destruction. He destroys Israel for their appetites. Since they had an appetite for things that did not belong to God, he's going to take those things away from them when all they have left is God. The same is true for you and I today. If we choose to reject God's will, we will not find happiness. Oh, we might find temporary and fleeting happiness. But we will not find the the life that's overflowing with joy. The abundant life that Jesus promised us. Listen, there are a lot of worthy projects and endeavors that you can engage in. There's a lot of worthy projects and endeavors that we can engage in in a church. But all those things that distract us from the main thing is not God's will for this church. All those things that distract us from what we need to be doing is not God's plan. The only one that merits consideration is what are we doing in light of God's will for us, for this What is God's will? And how do we get in line with that? Everything else is feeding on the wind. And it will not bring satisfaction. It will not bring joy. It will not bring happiness. It may bring activity. It may bring activity. But it's not what God would have us to do. We must decide today what we're going to do. You must decide today what are you going to do? You see, you feed on the wind when you reject your spiritual roots, as we learned last week. You feed upon the wind when you become materialistic. And you feed upon the wind when you reject God's will. The only way you can rise above this is choose to have an intimate relationship with God. I mean, intimate. Intimate, face-to-face with God. Will you crawl up into his lap and say, Father, I love you. I want to do what you'd have me to do. I want to be the kind of person you would have me to be. How do you do that? How do you do that? The Bible says there's only one way that you can ever have that type of relationship, and it's through Jesus Christ. You can try religion, you can try rituals, you can try rites. you can try rules, you can try regulations, but the only way is through a personal relationship through faith to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus said he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. You want a relationship with God? It's going to be through Jesus. You can call me old-fashioned, you can call me dogmatic, you can call me a fundamentalist, whatever you want to call me. I don't care as long as you say he's speaking the truth. The only way anyone makes it to heaven Is through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. Because God knows if we could do it by works, we'd brag and we'd boast. Look what I accomplished. Look what I accomplished. Listen, folks, it's not about what you accomplished. It's about what he accomplished. It's not about what you do. It's about what he did. It's not about who you are. It's who he is. It's not about you. It's about him and his glory and his honor and making his name known. Known. So maybe this morning, you realize in your life, you've just been chasing after things that will not satisfy you, will not bring you happiness, will not bring you joy because all those things are not designed to do it. As Blaise Pascal said, the French philosopher and theologian, he said, there's a God-sized vacuum in each one of us that only God can satisfy. Why not let God fill that void in your life today? For some of you, for the very first time, you didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. I know who you are. (laughs) You didn't know that, did you? I know who you are for some of you for the very first time you say you know I've been going to church for years but I don't know Jesus today God is calling you to know him to know him for others of you you're a church goer you know Jesus but you, you haven't really you've allowed your love for Jesus to wane to fade away and you don't love him as you first did he says come home come home recommit your life to me serve me with joy and with gladness for others you know that if you're going to be all you can be be in Christ Jesus you need to be a part of the church not the universal church you know that universal church that meets nowhere does nothing and receives nothing that's who a lot of people are said no God says no you need to be a part of a local body of believers And maybe God is calling you here because this is where he would have you invest your life and invest your talents for his kingdom and for his glory. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time when you can respond to what you've heard today. I don't know how God is speaking to you, but maybe God is speaking to your heart. You just need to talk with somebody. You need somebody to pray with you. You need somebody to give you some counsel. We're going to be here for you. I'm going to be here at the front Marcy Marcy's going to make her way down. Josh is going to be here just to facilitate. Uh, We're not here for you to go to one or the other. We're all here. We just didn't want to be any lines forming just in case. Oh, me of little faith when I don't think anybody will come forward. God will touch your heart. Listen, you're going to respond one way or the other. for Whatever you heard today, you're going to make a decision. A decision not to decide is a decision. A decision not to respond is still a decision. Somebody will say, how many decisions you had today? Oh, about 100. About a hundred. Some of them didn't respond publicly, but they all responded. So, would you stand with me? Kip's going to come and lead us. Cassie, Marilyn, going to come and play. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, asking God to speak to us during this time. Father God, we come before you this morning, asking you, God, to speak to our hearts. Father, we don't want the feed on the wind. Father, we don't want to pursue those things that will not bring satisfaction, will not bring joy. Will not, Father, give us that peace that surpasses understanding. Father, we know that only comes through Jesus Christ and through faith in Him. And Father, through that, we can discern Your will. We can discern, Father, Your purpose and Your plan for our life as we become whole with You. And we allow Jesus Christ to transform us and the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, Father, to renew us daily. And transform us daily, Father, into the image of Christ. God, speak to our hearts this morning. Not just individually. But, Father, speak to us corporately. Father, that we are about your business and not our business. We give you this time, Father, for you to glorify yourself in us. For it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.